Amen. Can you hear me? Or am I too quiet, too loud? A little quiet? I turned it down quite a bit because sometimes I get boomy when I'm preaching. It's just the headset and slide it just a little bit up. Is that better? Better, 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 better? Okay. Amen. Uh, Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. A familiar passage of Scripture um, to us. We've quoted it frequently. And while you're turning there, I also am glad that Dara's family's been here and we have not got to know them as well. We, you know, obviously she's been here and I, I have to commend you and Johnny on what wonderful daughters. We know, we have, we're meeting Danae, getting to know her better. We'll, we'll reserve judgment on her. But the two that we know well, we're, we're just impressed with the kind of young ladies they are. They're such wonderful women and um, that's, that's a commendation to you two. And um, I'm looking forward to the day where we're all here. And um, I know that with the grandbaby, that will add some incentive. If you don't love Dara enough, the grandbaby might push you over the top. So we're hoping for that. How, wouldn't we like to see them all here? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to endeavor. Uh, you know, all of you who know me know I have no problem cutting through the fat and speaking to the point. And so tonight, I'm going to do that. Um, I'm going to start now. I'm going to give a disclaimer in a minute, but I want everybody to, um, to get your toes out and refuse offense here tonight. How many will uh, agree to that? Just refuse offense. We're not going to be offended. So um, I'm going to start, the Lord rebirthed in my heart a few weeks ago to revisit something that you all know is near and dear to me, and that is the message about the manhood of, of godly men. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to do that for the next few times that I speak. I've kind of got this thought. We don't really, we don't have, we put them up on a podcast, but nobody cares about titles. But I'm thinking in these terms, God's man plan. That God has a plan for man. So I, I'm going to cover a few things. And then uh, all you women, hang on. Uh, I don't want you to, to lose uh, sight of the end here because we're going to talk about you in a few weeks. But I think it's important that both men and women understand the role of men. Amen? That wasn't enough. We already got some offended people. (laughs) Let's read this scripture in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John the Baptist, What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing. And you'll notice clothing is in uh, italics there, meaning it was not in the original text. And I'm going to cover this in a minute, but this is the word, uh, Greek word, malakoi. And it does not apply to clothing, but really to character. What did you go out to see? Soft people are where uh, he says, and they, behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went you out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before my face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, There has not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
And from the days of John the Baptist until present, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Lord, I pray that you would help me to share what you have put in my heart. God, and I believe this is a mandate that we must hear and that you will speak to us through your word so that we can live on this earth as the men and the women we are supposed to be. And we ask you for your direction, for your anointing, and for your impression, Jesus. In your name, everybody say amen. Last year, a Catholic man, Matt Walsh, how many have heard of Matt Walsh? A Catholic man made a uh, movie and had the guts to ask a question that has been more divisive than almost anyone could have guessed. Many of you already know the title of the movie, but the question is what I'm concerned with, and that question is, what is a woman? Four words. This has become highly volatile. What is a woman? That doesn't seem to be too difficult to answer. Anybody have struggling with that here? Because we got an altar and we're going to pray you through. Cast the devil out of you. You got a question about this. I was thinking about this um, in terms of, of men and women and uh, how that we're going to talk about men tonight and to say, well, the women can check out. There's only two groups. This is really important for us to understand. There's really only two groups, men and women. There's not a third option. And while that seems incredibly silly and you would even chuckle at me saying that, it is something that seems debatable in 2023 that so many people do not understand. But it doesn't seem like a difficult question. It's direct, it's pointed, and it precisely, the thing I love about this question is it precisely indicates the heart of the person answering the question. Anyone who's an adult and does not know what a woman is, is a liar and a pervert. Because it's obvious. And by, by how you answer that question dictates whether you are a liar and a pervert or not. For me, the answer is really simple. An adult female human. That's a woman. Everybody say amen. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into that. But, the, but what is a woman, and I won't get into all of that. I think it's interesting, though, because this Catholic man dares to speak out about gender roles when the church won't. He is getting assaulted in many cases by Christian people who say that he is too harsh with this question and that we are not being loving and that we are not seeing things as Jesus would see things. And my point in mentioning this question is really to get you to this. The Lord dropped into my heart a couple of weeks ago, this question, it is similar, and it was, I was reflecting on his question, what is a woman, and the Lord dropped into my heart this question, what is the role of a man? What is the role of a woman? According to God's direction and order, how many would say by... 
a wave of your hand or a blink of your eye that you believe that there are roles for both men and women and they are not the same. We're all in agreement with that. God does not have the same role in mind for men and for women. Same value, same importance, but not the same roles, not the same functions. Even within the makeup of our bodies, it is clear, and I don't think the children will have enough mind to be able to grasp this, so we won't worry about the little ears tonight, but it is clear, men cannot birth children. There's no question about that. And men are also not equipped to naturally feed children. God designed us differently. He made us with unique characteristics. Pastor said this last Sunday, and I told him, man, dad, you're, you were just warming me up for what I felt the Lord was already doing. It already been writing. But that there are there, there is a design nature, and I'm not going to have time to get into all of that. We'll have to cover some of that in the next few weeks. But just quickly, that men in summation are made with strengths, and women are made with qualities. They are vital, and this is why that we do not... God said it's not good that men should, or that a man should be alone, so he created Eve for Adam so that they could work together. She would be a help to him, and he would be a strength to her. We have strength and quality roles in men and women, and there's no way around it. The way around it is that we have adopted something that culture says that now has crept into the church unaware and I intend to challenge this thought tonight that, that we can each fulfill the role of God independently. Let me tell you something. I'm speaking to all the men primarily tonight. If you want to get in touch with your feminine side, get married. That's how you get in touch with your feminine side. God did not design you to get in touch with your feminine side. What is amazing to me is that while we see that men and women have different roles, in the 1960s, Leave It to Beaver understood that men and women had different roles. And Andy Griffith understood that men and women had different roles. And these are secular, I'm sure in that age, that the church people would have said, you can't watch that, that's no good. And now we look and we're like, that's the only thing good. But in secular society in the 1960s, it was understood that there were differences between men and women. And now, some 70 years later, not only has society lost its way, which we should expect because society is led by the devil and his, his thoughts and he is perpetrating all those things. But the church has lost its way on this. And it's pretty amazing to me. It is clear and obvious that God has designed men and women to function differently and remain within certain positions and roles. The question is tonight, are we willing to take an honest look at this or do we bury our heads in the sand and hide from this question? What is your role? 
what's your role? If God indeed does have unique roles for each gender, two, only two, and there's unique roles. We do not live in the kingdom of God. Let me say it this way. The kingdom of God is not androgynous. And nobody knows what that means. That means the blurring of everything that is, it is definable and we all dress the same, we all look the same, we all act the same, and we all do the same thing. I've said this often, you've heard me say it, the worst thing that ever happened to the church was the women's lib movement. Worst thing that ever happened. Because it, it started out, well, we want women to have the same jobs. And hey, listen, uh, while, we, while we're on the topic, you know, I'm not opposed to women working. That's not, that's not my point. Everybody here, um, I'm going to get there in a second. Everybody here has to make those decisions about your home. But let's not look at this and take this personally tonight. Let's look at this from the perspective of what does God want? And then each of you is going to have to determine that for your own homes. Each of you men, each of you women, you unmarried women, you young women, you young men, you need to be thinking about this. What is it that God designed me for? So, because in order to look at, at this from God's perspective, how does God see it? Take away your feelings, take the way you've done it uh, out of the picture, take away what grandma thought, what grandpa thought, what your future grandchildren might think, and say, how does God look at this? And if we're going to do that, then frankly, we're going to have to repent of some ways we've thought about things. What does repent mean? Change our mind. I'm not saying tonight, and I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting that anybody is wrong here. I'm just trying to present some different material for us to think about. Everybody okay with that? I'm, so I'm going to speak tonight uh, primarily toward men. I have vast experience in this category. I do not have much experience as a woman. So I'm going to have to work with Carrie some to help me on understanding what women... And, and I'll tell you what, if I ever get it figured out, I will not have to work anymore. I'll write the book, sell it, and I'll be very wealthy. Why do men and women fight? Because we have different perspectives. We have different roles. We just simply... I'm sorry, we do not see things the same. And y'all are wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> From our, from our perspective, and all the women would say, and yeah, you know, I, you guys are wrong. That, because that's how we're, it proves to me, if nothing else, that we are unique. The fact that you don't see things from the same perspective as a woman, as a natural man, proves to me that God designed us to see things differently. It is vital to you women here tonight, you unmarried women, you young girls, to understand what a godly man is supposed to look like. If you do not know this, then you will choose wrongly when you are inspecting a man to be your husband. And so let's look at what some of these things are. I know that before we get there that you could excuse all of this as just my opinion. And I will tell you, I'm going to speak somewhat like Paul would have done, where he said, I do not say this by the order of God, but I'm going to say this by permission. I'm going to try to use what I see in the scripture, and I'm going to try to present some things to you. But what if the apostle Paul, I believe it was, who said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Everybody remember that scripture? What if 
There is a better way of functioning as men and women than what maybe, maybe even the church as a whole believes. Now, I think we're probably pretty close here, but I don't want to just assume that we understand what God wants. I want to nail it down. I want to make it clear so everybody can understand it. Um, so I don't, unbelieve, I don't intend this to be malicious. I don't want this to be hurtful, uh, as I said. And, and I'm saying all that because I'm going to say things directly as I do, and I don't want anybody's feelings to get hurt. Our text gives us a snapshot of a godly man. What does a godly man look like? Jesus says of John the Baptist that he is the greatest of all the prophets. That there hasn't been a better man, a greater man to walk upon the earth up until John. And we have, is anybody when you read this found it interesting that there is description concerning John? This is, is interesting because we don't just have that John's a prophet. Anybody know what um, uh, Nehemiah, no, the one of the old, old time prophets, well, what did Jeremiah wear? Anybody know what Jeremiah was wearing? We do know what John the Baptist was wearing. Anybody know where Jeremiah resided? No? But we do know where John the Baptist resided. Anybody know what Jeremiah was eating for dinner? No, but we do know what, the, what John the Baptist was eating for dinner. And I don't think that it is inconsequential. I do believe that the Lord is trying to help us to see a picture. Now, I don't believe that John the Baptist's life was simply just about showing us what a man is. But I do believe that if the Lord says of him that this is the greatest man now, is it because that he is a prophet? Well, there was a lot of prophets. There's a lot of prophets who went before him. I think Isaiah was a pretty good prophet. I think there's a, David at times prophesied. There's a lot of prophets in that Old Testament that we could have looked at. I think there is something particular about John, and I do believe that it is important. A man whom Jesus calls the greatest. A man who takes a hold of the kingdom. A man who Jesus points out to be the opposite of soft the kingdom of heaven is occupied by hard men and soft women see this is one of those statements that kind of hit us wrong sometimes the kingdom of heaven is only occupied by hard men and soft women the kingdom of heaven is not occupied by soft men. Up until, from John the Baptist, and Jesus says until the present time, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take a hold of the kingdom. What does that word violent mean? It means we are people who go out and shoot and blow things up and, and uh, you know, start fights. No, but it does mean those who are forceful. Those who lay a hold of something and it is not spoken of in a negative light. It is spoken of in a positive light as someone, as a man who grabs a hold of something and Jesus says, this is how the kingdom of heaven is attained. If this is true, and I'm going to present some thoughts to you tonight. Hopefully you will leave and think about these things. If it is true, then we could say the converse is also true. That the kingdom of heaven is not taken hold of by those who are soft. 
by those who are weak. It is not the design of God. Being strongly masculine does not equal godliness. But as a man, being godly equals masculinity. It is what God made you for. You are made to defend. You are made to conquer. You are made not to cower. That is what God has designed you to be. I thought about this, and I, I, don't, I don't have time tonight, but I just want to give you something to think about for the next few weeks until I speak again. God told Adam in the garden, before the fall, you are to have dominion over this earth. And you say, well, that's, you know, that's what God wanted for man, but then when sin came, then that dominion was lost. And then God repeated to Adam, after the fall, you are to have dominion over this earth. So, if the first Adam was instructed post-fall to have dominion over the earth, then are we excluded from that command? Can we as men be right with God if we refuse the design of our very makeup? Or is it imperative that we as men have dominion exercised as God intended us to have? Again, I'm not even intending to answer all. I think I know the answer to some of these questions, but I'm asking them for you to think about so that you can answer them. Ask yourself what God says. A man who practices doing that which is difficult who takes on the weight of responsibility, who sees opportunity and struggle in the natural, is a man who is preparing himself to advance the kingdom of God. Everybody say amen right there. You don't know where to say amen in this message, so I'm going to help you. A man who is avoiding hard tasks, taking the easy way out, or refusing the responsibility of his role, is a man who is practicing to exit when things get tough the reality of it. It's absolutely the reality of it. This is why I've always encouraged our young people, my children specifically, and then those who would talk to me, I've always encouraged them, we don't date. I love Wayne Holcomb. He has a line, I've used it ever since. He said, dating is practice for divorce. What do you do when you're dating? Well, I'm going to try this one out for a while and see, and see. ah, no, I really didn't work. I don't Move on. But what is something different? Courtship is the other thing where we recognize, and I realized this for my children when they were 15 years old. Hey, whoever they're encountering right now is a possible husband or wife. And they should look at it as such. They should be looking and saying, you know what? This dude does not possess the qualities of manhood. So it's either er, wrong answer, not going to happen ever, or it's certainly not the time now. Or this young woman is, is uh, very um, aggressive. She is, she is usurping her role. She's a women's lib. No, no, no. Get run. 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 Get away from it. Because we're not, we're not just seeing how things work. And Well, you know, as a man, I'll just kind of try this out. And if it does, no, no. We are designed to conquer. We're designed to be victorious. We're designed to have dominion. 
And in fact, the scripture says that you are made more, everybody knows where I'm going, than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Those terms are militant terms. They're powerful terms. Dominion and conquering, victory and violence. These are words that are associated with men. It's what we're made to be. Now, I'm only dealing with the natural currently. Obviously, just doing these things and not being a spiritual man is of no value. But at least you're functioning in your role. I can deal with a man, in fact, many of you here were these men who are hardworking and rough, not really where you needed to be, but you're a man. God can speak to that. You know what God's not dealing with? Soft men. You got a whole nother issue here. We got a whole nother problem going on when we get to outside of the roles where God has prepared for us. And we got through a page and nobody left yet, so that's good. There is no way that John the Baptist is going to stand up, risk his position. We believe he had a rightful, uh, a right to the high priesthood. I think that he was the due high priest, but it had been bought and sold by that point, and who had money was getting the power. But there's no way that he's going to risk his position. He's not going to risk his right to the high priesthood, his reputation, and his life if he is sitting in the temple, eating fine foods, getting a manicure, and wearing a Snuggie. It's not happening. And this is exactly what the Lord is saying. He paints a picture and he says, Listen, you want to see a bunch of softies? Go to the temple. You want to see guys who've never had dirt under their fingernails? Go to the temple. What did you think you were going to see when you saw the greatest prophet ever? What did you think you were going to see? A man. That's what he says. You went out and you saw a dude, to put it in English. You saw what a man is supposed to look like. Dad has some pictures I always remember. Grasshopper legs hanging out of his teeth. A camel hair coat and a leather girdle around his waist. A big beard. Oh yeah, John the Baptist had a beard. So did Jesus and so did all of his followers. I won't even go there tonight. John, a man. A man's man. If he lived in our age, he was going to work a man's job. He was going to change the oil in his car on his own. We don't do that anymore. It's too expensive. <laughs> Cheaper to have him do it. Jesus literally is showing this polar opposite between what is the religious culture of that day and what the true word of God was being spoken through. A guy who is figuring out how to survive on his own in the wilderness. Why is it you think he was eating locusts? Because he's in the wilderness. That's why. It's not because locusts taste good. Grab yourself a, a grasshopper anytime you want. 
Get one of those cicadas that are making all the noise around here right now. And just bite right into that thing. And tell me if you want to eat that. John's not eating that stuff because it's good. He's eating it to survive. Because he's a man. And he understands that God has pulled him out of this softness. And that his role is to live in the wilderness. His role is to stand apart from what everybody else is doing. His role in, in, a, in the kingdom of God is not to live within the religious culture of that day. And so Jesus paints a picture that looks much different than what we see today. His preparation... His spiritual calling, eating locusts, wearing camel's hair, surviving in the wilderness. But somehow we think that we do not need to take those types of drastic measures to be men. We believe in our age that because we have convenience that we should use it. That's what we are programmed to think. I'm not, I love air conditioning. I'm sweating to death up here right now. That's not the point. Again, don't you know, turn off the air conditioner in your car and drive around here all summer. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is that somehow we as men in 2023, let's say 2,000 years after John and Jesus and all of the men who Jesus called that were men. They were men's men. All these guys... We feel as though every ease and every convenience is what we are supposed to do and that God is okay with that while every other man that he ever called and used was required to discipline and put things down and do things the hard way because they're made to be hard. We somehow have exempted ourselves in our current age from this type of behavior. And we will take every opportunity that is afforded to us to be lazy. We will take every opportunity that is afforded to us not to take responsibility. We will take the easy way out. We will do the easiest thing every single time. And believe at the same time that it doesn't matter to God if we are doing that. And I'm just throwing out some thought here tonight. What if God says, that's not what I want you to be doing because you need to be hard? Men were designed for war. Men were made for foxholes. Well, I don't know about that, Pastor Rodney. Well, why don't you think about the Old Testament? Every single one of the men of Israel were warriors. That's what they did. Even the priest had roles in war. They were carrying the ark. They were blowing trumpets. They were going out in front of the armies many times. No one was exempt. Everyone was expected to fight. Why do we feel like men, and all you women can say amen here in a second, why do we feel like we are exempted from the fight? We are designed to take on difficult things. We are made for hard living. I encountered this quickly when we lived in the trailer at the church for a year and nine months. It wasn't that hard on me. It was much more difficult on Carrie. Because we as men, we, we, we are designed, we think in a different manner 
And it doesn't matter to us if we have a nest. I'm out looking for food. I don't care about a stinking nest. I'm out fighting battles. I don't care about where we live. We are made for difficult things and hard things. Yes, all of these men in the Old Testament, so many imperfections, so many difficulties, but God commanded them to fight. He never said, hey guys, you know, I, I want you to be a bunch of pacifists. This is what the kingdom of God is about, pacifism. Why do we, why do we think that? Why do we believe that? Now again, we're talking about practicing in the natural what we're going to get to in the spiritual. But if we are passive in the natural, what do we think? We're going to stand up and all of a sudden stand against the, the roaring tide that is, that is coming against us right now where church after church after church is, is uh, accepting homosexuality. They're questioning whether transgenderism is, is uh, allowed in the churches. They're baptizing homosexual couples. Church after church. Dad just said, man, have you seen this thing with Andy Stanley? I don't know. I mean, we follow that kind of stuff. I don't know if you do. Charles Stanley was considered this kind of beacon of virtue, this bastion of morality. And his son is absolutely gay affirming in a massive church. Do you think if we don't practice doing hard things in the natural, all of a sudden we're going to stand up and fight hard things in the spiritual? You learn obedience through the things you suffer. This is what it says of Jesus. Why are we better? You take the road that doesn't suffer. What are you learning? You take the road that's easy. How are you developing into the man that God wants you to be so that you can stand and tell your children, no, we cannot go down that road. How are you going to do it when every easy turn is taken? When you shirk and shrug off responsibility. Let me say it and make it plain. God made men to be hard, tough, and manly. I want you to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians. Do you have any water right there, Carrie? Perfect. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Get there really quickly. You all know this verse because I've said it before. At least most of you would know it. Um, 1 Corinthians, I didn't mark it, so i got to get there myself. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse uh, 9, I believe. Get there. Yes. Know ye not. We're going to see a list here of things that disqualify you from the kingdom of God. Disqualification. Removed. Know ye not. That the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now we're going to get a list of what makes you unrighteous. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators. Nor idolaters. Nor adulterers nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, which would be homosexuals, in case any of you are wondering, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Nor effeminate. Scholars 
want to use this and excuse, and I, I don't want to be crass here, but they want to say that this word means the receiving end of a homosexual relationship. That's what they want to say. I'll just leave it there. This is not at all what this word means. But the reason why they're going to misrepresent the definition of this word is because they're a bunch of softies. This is going to be really self-serving. Because what this word is, is malakoi. It is the exact same word that Jesus said of John, not of John, but concerning John. When you went out to see John, did you go out to see someone who is soft? Malakoi. It means, in the, in the simplest form, it just means to be soft. Got a question for you mothers. Are you raising soft boys? It's a question you need to answer. Because if you're raising soft boys, we'll get into this in a few weeks, but if you're raising soft boys, you're raising them out of the kingdom of God. I use this example often, and I'll use it again tonight, because I know these three probably haven't heard it, but when uh, Rodney was little, eight years old, nine years old, he's wrestling at the wrestling tournament, and uh, lost a match, and he was upset. He didn't lose a whole lot, but he lost that match, and he was upset, and I'm coaching. We're running the program, and I'm coaching, and, and uh, I am down there on the floor coaching other kids, and my dad comes up, and as you, you all know, I'm kind of the mouthpiece for dad often, but he's got a lot to say. He just says it to me generally, and uh, kind of comes up and taps me on the shoulder. Hey, dad, what's going on? Have you seen your son? No. Yeah, um... He's laying in his mom's lap. All right? Yeah, that's not going to work. You're right. That isn't going to work. He said, no, no, no. This boy needs to learn what, a, what it means to be a little man. He's not a big man. But wrestling and crying and laying in your mom's lap don't go together. Oh, you're right. So I go up and I get him out of there. I said, you knock it off. You lost. Deal with it. Live with it. Move on. This is what we do. This is part of the sport. Part of, that's why I love wrestling. It teaches so many great values. So we got over it. We got in the car and Carrie was really mad at me. Really mad at me. He's just a baby and you're, you're expecting him to... No, no, no. I'm not expecting anything. I'm telling him how he's going to act. And we start arguing back and forth. And the only time, because you all know, if anybody's abused in this relationship, it's me. Amen. Uh, I finally, I'm aggravated. I look over her and I said, listen, you don't know what it takes. I don't know where it came from because I didn't even know at the time. You don't know what it takes to raise a man. You let me raise him to be a man and I'll let you raise the girls to be women. And she was upset with me. We were upset with each other. Fast forward to his freshman year in college. And he goes to his first tournament. We're sitting up in the stands and the guy, the weight below him, let me say he's effeminate. Rodney had won all of his matches that day, but um, we were sitting there, and this kid loses, and he's just getting mauled. He's just getting pushed around, which just irritates the snot out of me. Fight! That's what we're made for! He comes up, and I'm not paying attention. I'm watching the tournament, and he comes up, and he lays down in his mom's lap at 20 years old in the bleachers of a college wrestling tournament. And Carrie taps me on the shoulder and says, thank you. 
Literally, I didn't know what she was talking about. What are you talking about? She points down. <laughs> Thank you. You're right. There are consequences for raising soft boys. And frankly, we need to be preparing these young guys daily to embrace the difficulties of being a man. A man says, put it on me. I will do the hard thing. It's my job. Effeminacy, malakoi, it disqualifies you. It's not simply my opinion in this case. You could say some of the things I've said tonight are my opinion. But this is not my opinion. This is the opinion of the apostle and the opinion of the Lord. That the thing that disqualifies you from the kingdom. You can get over being an adulterer. You can get over being a fornicator. You can get over being a homosexual. But if you're soft, you're still disqualified. According to the scripture. Moms, don't worry about making your boys hard. Worry about making them soft. Worry about making them take responsibility. Worry about making them respect and honor. Worry about them looking up to men and understanding they need to be taught by other men how to be men. That's what you need to be worried about. I told you I'd get to moms. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be soft? tell you what it means in our church today, in our churches today. It means a bunch of metrosexual, manicured, skinny jean-wearing, queer-acting, limp-wristed sissies who call themselves pastors who've never worked a day in their life. That's what it means. These are the men who are pandering to homosexuals. These are the men who excuse infidelity. These are the men who raise and make effeminate young men. They certainly are not going to defend the faith. I believe it's in the book of Jude, it says that we are to earnestly contend. Does that sound like a soft thing? Earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to us. And I'm trying to tell you tonight, men, that if you don't take the responsibility in your natural life to start looking at things differently, you are not going to stand up and have the gravitas to say, this is right and I'm standing on it. Well, do not fear what men can do to you. Fear what God can do to you. But if you're afraid to stand up in your own home, <laughs> I mean, you're going to stand. You can't stand up to your wife, but you're going to stand up to the police. You're going to stand up to somebody that comes in here and says, you can't preach that. No, you're not. You can't lead in your own home. You're not going to lead in the house of God. The natural affects the spiritual. This softness, it is the antithesis of a godly man. He is not operating within the role of God and what God made for him. And young women who are looking for a husband, if you see this, run. Get away from it. Because it's not going to turn out good. Some of you husbands and wives need to have some discussions possibly. 
about how you're going to proceed going forward as you begin to think about this. You can't get it figured out. Run, not to divorce, to leadership. And say, hey, pastor, you're a man. You need to talk to that idiot husband of mine who wants to be a woman. We need to take the responsibility. Seize, take hold of, conquer. That's what we're designed for. I'm going to give you a pet peeve right here. And this is the truth. We've got a bunch of men walking around, swinging their hips. I love Jesus. No amount of praise and worship and right doctrine or theology can overcome your effeminacy. You cannot be right with God and act like a queer. Impossible. And if God's going to deal with you before he ever deals with you on who he is and what he wants you to do and whether you need to be baptized or not, whether you should shave your face or not, he's going to deal with you on stop acting like a faggot. That's what he's going to do. Exactly what he's going to do. Because that's where he's got to deal with you. And we got a bunch of people up front who are, who are not only pandering to effeminacy, but they are producing effeminacy. I have seen it firsthand in so many churches. It literally makes me want to throw up. I cannot stand it. Men are not made to speak with lisps. Now, if you've got a natural list from your birth, you cannot help it. But that high-pitched, nasally thing, go to the doctor. I don't know. Get it corrected. That is not how we're supposed to talk. Men aren't standing looking like that's not how you're made to look. You weren't made to walk down a runway like a woman. Stop swinging your hips. It is effeminacy. It's softness. And it makes us, that alone makes us out of order with God and wrong with God. And that's where God's going to deal with it. And my concern is that you, some of you young men, need to get a hold of this and start practicing it. You guys who are having children, don't have children yet, um, maybe already have some young boys or young girls, you need to be practicing it. What happens when I lose my voice? What happens should the Lord Terry and Pastor and I are here? All of you need to understand this and reproduce this in your children. Because while we're not perfect around here, I do not believe that for a second. I will say that primarily what we have produced out of this congregation, while not perfection, is at least manly. And in the women, while not perfection, is at least feminine. And it's important. It is vital for us. Jesus selected a total of zero men who were soft. Zero. The book of Matthew, probably more than any other book, deals with the masculinity of the Lord. And it's interesting because Matthew, remember what his vocation was before he came to the Lord? Tax collector. That's not an IRS agent who levies your bank accounts. That's a dude who stands and exacts a toll from you. I know how I feel 
when they come and they say, hey, you owe so much money to your taxes. How many like that? Now imagine when he comes to your door and knocks and says, hey, I'm here to collect. He's got to be able to take that. He's got to be ready to forcefully take this. Did Jesus would select a dude like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of men. Sons of thunder and roughneck fishermen. None of these men were soft. They were all hard men. Something struck me the other day. And these two things have largely contributed to the gender confusion in our world. And that is creeping to our church. And I, and I thought about this. And this, again, my opinion, but I want you to think about it. Because I felt like the Lord kind of helped me in this area. So many Christian men are upset about men in women's sports. How many of y'all are upset about men in women's sports? Have you seen the UFC fighter that's literally breaking skulls? He's a man fighting women. Boy, he's tough. Men who stand up to women. Boy, they're real tough. So many Christian men are upset about women in the military. They recognize that men have strengths that women don't, and women have qualities that men don't. And yet, most of these men will sit back and watch as the women in our homes are saddled with the duties and the roles that men were designed to bear. Now, again, this is the point where I said, I have no problem with women working. My sister works, Carrie worked for a long time, and maybe will again, I don't know. That's not the point of what I'm about to say. Sister Donna works, I don't know, a lot of, Dara works, we got a lot of women work, so I'm, this is not the point. But are there roles that we are designed for? That's the question. Women, let me be clear to you. It is not your duty to make your husband's life easier. If you are only trying to make your husband's life easier, then you are contributing to his softness. That's good stuff. Should I sit down on the front row and let somebody else preach this part? Come over. I'll get pastor. He's a lot older than me. He can say this stuff where I can't. If your duty, if your function, the scripture says you are a helpmate. We're to work together, but we've got different roles. We've got different function, and your primary function is not to, you're not the servant for your husband. That's not it. Your primary function is to work within the role, and we'll get there. We'll talk about that some weeks down the road. But it's not to make your husband's life easier. But husbands, I will say that it is your duty to make your wife's lives easier. When you saddle your wife with what is difficult, got something really hard to do, and I'm not going to name things so nobody gets offended. We got hard things to do around the house, and you look and say, well, you know, we'll let mom take care of it. It's your job. You're designed for it. And when you practice those things in the natural, then you are preparing 
for what God wants to do in you spiritually. But I'm going to tell you one other thing. As you are modeling for your children, should you have them, how they are to perceive what the roles of men and women are to be. Now, there is no greater vocation and calling for a woman than to be a housewife who raises her children. There is nothing greater than that. That does not mean that working is wrong. We live in a society that is so expensive anymore, it's almost impossible to make a living. I understand all of that. That's not, that's not making any insult. That doesn't mean you need to quit your jobs. That's not what I'm saying. But I also want to make clear there is nothing wrong with being a mother who's raising the house, governing the house. God made this design. God over man, man over woman, woman over the household. That's how God designed it, not me. If you've got a problem, take it up with him. It's not my design. So it's, it's, it's your, your job to make sure if you are working, you need to be taking care of the duties that God has designed you for as a woman. I, what I thought when I was considering that is that we are confusing our children that are in church. And this is no wonder that now churches are full of young people that are coming up who are embracing this androgynous society. Churches are full of young people. Why? Because we no longer believe the word of God that says women are not to exercise authority over men. And we got a lot of women pastors now. Is there exceptions? Sure. Man dies, there's nobody to take. I mean, what, we shut down. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not drawing a hard, fast rule. But what the scripture says is that men are to lead. And Paul says, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority in the church. And we got all kinds of churches with women pastors who are producing women men. They're producing soft men because men don't, Men are not made, and I, I'm, I'm getting off. I got I to gotta finish. Me, moms, let me, let me address you one more time. Your young men are not made to be obedient to you as they become adult. They're made to honor you. They're made to honor you because of your role, because of your role in their life because you have faithfully worked to produce Christ and reveal Christ to them, and you have governed your home. They're made to honor you. They will not obey you. There comes a time when a young man will no longer take orders from a woman. And we got a bunch of women who are ready to beat a bunch of 16-year-old boys because they won't take orders. You're out of order. The problem is you're out of order. And what we need is dads to step up and say, Listen, bud, you are going to honor your mother. If I have to kill you over it, you're going to honor her. Not obey. This isn't about obedience. That's why the scripture says that, yes, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is good. But the, the commandment is, is that children should honor their father and their mother. For this is the commandment with promise. We need to understand this. We better be clear because too many soft Christian couch-loving men are shrinking from their responsibilities and embracing current cultural norms where we let women fight our wars, change our oil, fix the fence, stink and sweat and do what is hard and then demand they submit to our leadership. 
That's beautiful. I'm not going to do my role. I'm going to have you do my role, but you better submit to me. It's no wonder we got a bunch of women who are out of order. We got a bunch of men who are out of order. Yes, we work together. I cook sometimes myself. Not real good at the laundry, but I, you know, I guess if I had to, I could. I, there's nothing wrong with doing dishes from time to time. That's not, it's not that men can't ever do certain. That's not the point. In fact, it may be that the dishes are really hard and you need to jump in there and do them. I don't know. Point is, we are made to take on challenges. And our wives, God designed them to be our helpmate. To assist with the challenges that we can also not take hold of. So we're going we're to have some, some work to do around the church. We're not going to take the women and expect them to do the heavy lifting is the point. That's what we're made for. We're going to have the women do some of the other things. Well, maybe bake dinner or something. Huh? That sounds good. <laughs> I'm not trying to nail this down. I'm really not. And I'm not trying to insult. I'm not, I'm not accusing. I don't want you to take this, any of us to take this as like, well, I man, Pastor Rodney's saying I'm doing everything wrong. I'm not saying we've done anything wrong. What I'm trying to do is present a thought process outside of the way we're thinking about it. More than the fact, I think we've got good marriages. I think we've got a lot of great men in this body. This church is full of more men than most churches that are 10 times this size. We've got good men in this body. That's, the point isn't that we all know we're stupid and we've messed it up. That's not the point. But can we see things from a different perspective? I'm getting near being done. This is the heart where we let the women take the hard lifting and then demand their submission. This is the heart of the holiness movement. This is what I see where I grew up. And this is what I see in the holiness movements all over. We got the men who are primped and who are pretty with their slick hair and their baby bottom smooth faces. Their high fashion suits and their gold watches. And we got the women wearing granny's old nightgown with her hair pulled back and no makeup, trying to make them look as ugly as possible. We're out of order. The, the scripture says, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, that man is the image and the glory of God and that the woman is the glory of man. Men are not made to be pretty. But women are. I'll give you some advice, men. If you are prettier than your wife, Grow a beard. <laughs> or let her shave hers. <laughs> I don't understand why we think making women look ugly is godly. Maybe we can make the men look ugly. We're not supposed to be the primped one. If it takes you longer to do your hair than your wife does, you probably got a problem. All of us as men should be looking at our wives as though we have married up. She is the glory of who you are. 
If there is something that is pretty, if there is praise to how your home looks, it is her glory, not yours. We're not made for that, but we got it all out of order. Women, take time to be pretty. Take time. Don't worry about, well, we shouldn't put, I love Tommy, Tommy um, Barnett. And they asked him if it was wrong for uh, women to wear makeup. And he said, every old barn can use some paint. Then I heard him, somebody else said it's a sin for some women not to wear makeup. That, that might be true. Take time. Present yourself. Be the beauty of your family. Be the beauty of, of your husband. Give him something to look at and hopefully you can look at and respect. Hopefully, young women, don't look for the boy, the man, who's slicked up and and, and all of everything's put in order. You look for a guy who's not afraid to get dirty. You find a guy who's not afraid to get dirty, who's going to jump. You find Isaac Sherbundy. That's who you find right there. Find a guy who's wearing a suit and will crawl under your car and change your oil. In the suit. On Sunday right before church. That's the guy. That's what you're looking for. Why? Because he's in the order that God designed him to be in. If we're in the order God designed him, it's really easy for God to speak to us. You know who it's hard for God to speak to? Homosexuals. Because they're so out of order. They're so in rebellion against what God designed them to be. So my suggestion for us is that we should rethink maybe how it is that we are understanding the roles of of men and women and what we're supposed to be doing so that we can get in a place where God can speak to us. Because if I function within my home as God designed me to function, and I function on the job as God designed me to function, just in the natural, I'm honest, I'm working with integrity, I'm putting in a good hard day's work, I'm leading my young men by example of what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to treat a woman, that they should say yes ma'am, yes sir, and all of these things that go with just discipline and structure, then I am in a perfect spot for God to speak to me. And I've discovered that when I take on hard things, it's oftentimes that, that is when God speaks to me. It's oftentimes when I'm doing the most difficult. When I when built our last home and Austin did the same thing and dad, we're at 10 months of absolute Hades of just waking up super early, staying up late and working long days. And I found many times as I was tired and maybe the kids had gone home and Carrie had taken the girls and put them in bed and all that and I'm working by myself, I would feel the spirit of the Lord just speaking things into my heart. Speak, conversing with me. Any of you other men ever discovered that? And hard things. Why? Because it's what I'm made for. When I'm doing what I'm made for, I'm honoring God, I'm understanding my position, and I'm opening the door for God to speak to my life. So uh, I want to go... I want to go one more place. Um, I feel like the church has contributed to the current gender crisis because we've refused to recognize the prescribed gender roles of God. And I believe there's an answer answer to reach this generation. I think the answer is clear. The answer is not found in pandering. The answer is not found in trying to understand what these young people are going through. They're going through exactly what you went through. You you don't need to understand it. You already, already went through it. It's called puberty. You don't need to understand it. You already went through it. It's not pandering. It's not in loving. It's not in soft peddling or trying to understand their confusion. 
Man is the image and the glory of God. We are made, how many would agree with this statement? We are made and shaped in the image of Christ. He's the second Adam, and I love that pastors, it perfectly set this up. And we are the third Adam, the one shaped in his likeness. As he was on this earth, John 1, 1 John 1 says, so are we to be. Everyone wants to show Jesus as the soft, lamb-holding hippie. But I want to reach back to one of pastor's favorite pictures of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 21 really quickly as I'm closing. I don't even know how long I've been. Maybe it's too long, but I got to finish with this thought. I didn't find anywhere I could break this off. So maybe you can help me with hermeneutics afterwards. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 10. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? I want you to pay attention to these next few verses. And the multitude said, this is Jesus the prophet. Am I in the right spot? Um, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm there, I'm there. Um, just as Jesus the prophet, Nazareth uh, of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now listen. And the blind and the lame came unto him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna, to the son of David. They were sore, displeased. Jesus was a worker. He was an artisan, a carpenter or a bricklayer. We don't know exactly what it was. He was a fisher. He was a fire maker. He was a hike taker. We know he did all of these things. You will not find a greater picture of toxic masculinity than when we see Jesus. This event in Matthew 21 was not a knee-jerk reaction. Because I believe it's in the book of John of this account. It says that he took time to make a whip out of some small cords. And I can see him, I don't know if you can, but I can see him sitting there making this thing. We think that, oh man, Jesus, this soft, uh, like mom was so offended when dad first saw the picture of the long-haired dude holding the little lamb. They walked into church when they, I don't, were you married? Barely married. And they walked in the back of the church. They had that picture on the wall. And dad said, who's the hippie with the goat? That's the picture that we're taught of Jesus, and it's the picture that is constantly being pushed of him now. Very soft. Very effeminate. Now, I know it can't be the picture of him because that's a sin, and he did not sin. He's a man. He's a man's man. And he took time, and I can see him there. I can see him muttering under his breath, furious, at what he is seeing in the house that is his. 
So he is fashioning a whip. Dad loves this picture of Jesus standing there at the door of the temple with the whip in his hand, a little sweat running down his forehead, daring them to come back in. He daring them. He's ready for somebody to paint the picture. I actually found a man who'll do it. I, 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 got a, I found a man. I don't like him, but I found a man who he believes Jesus in this way. Daring him to come back in. Blocking the entry. The scripture does not say he got a whip and said, psh, psh, Hey, y'all, I want you to leave. It says he drove them out. He got rid of them, expelled them, removed them. But what was the result of this extreme example of toxic masculinity? The lame now have entrance to where they've been forbidden. The lame now are being healed, where once they could not even come in the temple, once Jesus got done driving out the perverts and the extortioners, there is room for those who are broken. And the blind who sit at the temple gates, we know that, they're forbidden because they are unpure and unclean. We find them. Jesus isn't blocking their way into the temple. He's welcoming them. We find them inside the temple and they are receiving sight. But what is so beautiful and so applicable, when he rides into Jerusalem in this account, there are people throwing down their coats in front of him. And they are crying, the multitudes are crying unto him, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But when he fashions the whip and quiets himself like a man and stands in the door of the temple after having driven out in an extreme act of masculinity, the children, does not say the multitudes, but the children stand in the temple crying, Hosanna. You know what's going to draw young people to Christ? Not a bunch of soft men. What is going to draw young people to Christ is a bunch of decisive men. Hard men. Tough men. It is alluring. When a young man and a young woman looks and sees men taking the role they're supposed to be taking... Driving out the enemy. Conquering as God intends them to conquer. It produces fruit in the kingdom. I had never seen this picture before. But I believe it is the answer for this generation. What we need to be more than ever. Is we need men to be men. And women to be women. And define a role and say, listen, we're going to live within this role to the glory of God. 
And I believe, we're not looking, this has never been our desire, we're not looking to try to add people to the church. We've always been about trying to grow us in Christ. But I believe that as we begin to step up in this area, one, your children will stay in the house of God. Children don't stay in the house of a bunch of effeminate men. But your children will grow to stay in the house of God. And I believe that we will be able to give answers to the lost young people. Funny thing, this isn't just little children. This word, and I'm done, it is from young all the way up through the teenage years. These are the ones who entered the temple as the result of this work of Jesus. And so I want to encourage every one of you men. I hope this has spoken some things to you, to you men and women, to think about, to ponder I don't want to come home with you and judge what you're doing and tell you what you're doing is right or wrong. I want to encourage you to structure your life according to what God intends for us to structure that. Amen? Amen. Pastor, why don't you come and close this out?